Welcome back. You may be seated. Tonight we are going to continue our study through the book of John in John chapter 6. We are in some very interesting portions of Scripture. There's a lot of um, very confusing text in all of this, and I think we can figure out a little bit of why it's that way tonight. Uh, Last week we took a look at the attitudes and the reasons that the multitude were asking uh, Christ to be able to perform them, what they needed to do to perform the miracles of God. Uh, we tried to understand what the work of God is, and Christ put it very simply, the work of God is faith. And uh, again, we talked this morning, faith requires obedience, faith requires work, so faith and obedience is the work of God. Uh, Christ also began to explain to those that had gathered that He is the true bread of life. He is... Uh, that bread that would bring them eternal life that they would never have they would never hunger again and when we left off we began to understand just how willingly ignorant these people were they had claimed to know and understand the miracles of that Christ had performed and yet they still see him as the son of Joseph they were unwilling to see them for who he truly was and still focused on the fleshly aspects of their lives so today, Christ is going to continue, uh, or as we continue, Christ is going to continue uh, with his teaching on the bread of life and what is required for a person to live in heaven for eternity. So John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse number 42. We'll go all the way down through verse number 62 and try and draw out some of the truth that Christ has, that God has for us today. So John chapter 6 and verse number 42. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how is it then he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Let's pray. 
Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing here in us and through us. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us tonight. Again, Lord, I seek your face. I pray that you would give us open hearts and open minds, that your truth would take root and grow, that it would mold us and shape us into the men and women that you would have us to be. Lord, that it would energize us, that it would strengthen us to go out and to serve you, to be that bold and effective witness that you've asked us to be. Lord, that we would see the entire town of Maxwell changed, turned on its head for you. Lord, that we would see the county, Story County, changed and turned on its head for you, the state of Iowa, the country. Lord, that your truth, again, would reach all around the world. God, I pray that you would guide and direct tonight. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christ begins as they have started to question again. They, they, they're murmuring against him and uh, talking about who his father is, who his earthly father is. Instead of focusing on the miracles and the deeds that he did, did that could not be done by any man, he has to explain in verse 43... Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. We have to be drawn to Christ. But we need to understand first who is drawn and what being drawn is. To be drawn is to be pulled. In the times of Christ, people had to go to the well and draw water. Even in many parts of the world today, uh, people have, don't have that modern convenience of running water in their house. Um, Brother Grant, did you, and this is not an old joke, but did you have to, did you have a well or did you have a, have you always had running water in the house? Oh, yeah, we'd always had running water uh, even in the old farmhouse we had lived in. But I do remember having to go down into the pit and fix the pump. That yeah. Was part of the well, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never been in a lived in a place that didn't have running water. I've lived in a couple of places that had wells that were uh, still hand pumps, um, and sometimes you had to pour water down into the well in order to be able to pump water back out of the well. It's the weirdest concept, but it works. But you had to go and you had to put in effort to get the water there instead of just turning the hose. You had to go and drop a bucket into a deep hole and pull it back up. A horse draws a carriage, an ox draws a cart or a plow. The part of the tractor that the implement's attached to is called the drawbar. So for God to draw them into Christ means that he is pulling or leading them. Now the Calvinist will take this and turn it into the doctrine of irresistible grace, meaning that you can't resist the pull of God. That when God starts drawing on your life, you have to get saved, you have to follow him. But that's not true. They're forgetting that the natural law of cause and effect. Uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every cause, there's an effect. And for every effect, there's a cause. Anyone who's ever tried to lead a horse or a calf, I, as we were watching the fireworks last night, I really thought that those horses had jumped the fence and I was going to have to go chase them down. And I was concerned because I don't have the proper equipment with me to catch them and bring them back. Um, when I was probably Josiah's age, 13-ish, um, we had this little black colt that dad had bought from the neighbors up the road. And for some reason, my stepmom at the time loved to let him out in the yard to just graze while she mowed the yard. 
And normally he stayed right there by the pasture with all the other horses. But on this particular day, she was out mowing the yard and she let him out and just took the halter and everything off and just let him go. And he ended up out in the cornfield that my dad's cousins farmed. So I had to go get him. And I was young and dumb and didn't go get the halter out of the barn. I just took off my belt, wrapped it around his neck and brought him back. And he was probably, he wasn't even a year old at this time, but he was big enough that uh, it hurt. I, I grabbed the, I stuck my belt around his neck and, and started leading him back and he got about halfway back and decided he wanted to take off. And as he took off, I pulled the belt off his neck and he bucked and kicked me right square in the sternum. Now, Brother Jesse, you played baseball. Did you play football? You ever been hit in the bread basket and you just, it just knocks all the wind out of you? You get hit right there in that spot just at the base of your sternum and it just takes all of the wind out of you. And that's where he kicked me and I immediately dropped to my knees. I couldn't catch my breath. And of course my stepmom is not paying attention. She's just worried about the horse. And finally she looks out and sees me laying in the field and realizes that something's wrong. By the time she got to me, I was back up on my feet. I had caught my breath again and I knew that I was okay, but she had to take me to the hospital and have me checked out because she was afraid my dad was going to be upset. Anyway, it was a long, drawn-out ordeal. But the point is, I was leading that horse. I was drawing it back to the barn, and it didn't want to stay with me. It wanted to get ahead of me, and there was nothing I was going to do to keep it from getting ahead of me. Even if I'd had a halter or a lead rope, it was big enough. It could have drugged me all the way back to the barn. We need to understand that we can resist God's leading. We can resist God's drawing. God is not any different. God chose to create us with free will, and because of that free will, we can resist that drawing. God has given us all the information we need to know to know who Christ is, but we have to choose to follow it. So in order for God to draw us, we have to be drawn. This is why verses like James 4.8 exist, and I think we looked at it a little bit this morning. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. We have to be willing. We have to make that step. We have to be on the same page and wanting to follow. Verse 44 says that no man can come to me except that the Father which hath sent me draw him. This still requires an action on our part. Again, God has given the information to point the way we must follow the signs. This brings to light a different side of many verses like Matthew 18.4. Let's go back to Matthew 18.4. This is what is required for us to be drawn by God. Matthew 18.4 Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10.15 Mark 10 and verse 15 Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And Luke 18.17 
Luke eighteen seventeen. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. We have to humble ourselves. We have to become as a little child. Because children are easily persuaded. Especially little children. They believe almost anything and therefore almost everything. When I was a young man, this... this uh, wonderful lady I was probably between Naomi and Abraham in age but this wonderful lady babysat me and uh, she babysat several of my cousins as well and my cousin Jameson probably wouldn't necessarily appreciate me telling this story even though he doesn't remember it but uh, he was right around between a year and two years old he was walking but not talking yet still going in a diaper and he had decided that he was going to follow me down to the basement. They had a, several bedrooms in the basement, a nice playroom. And he had decided he was going to follow me down the stairs. And I got to the bottom of the stairs and turned around. And I saw him coming down the stairs. And I stopped him so that he was about eye level with me while I was standing on the floor. And I gave him just the meanest, angriest look I could come up with. And immediately he started crying. Full crocodile tears just bawling his eyes out and then I started laughing at him and immediately he started laughing just joyful belly laugh thought it was hilarious we went back and forth like this for about 10 minutes I'd make him cry then I'd make him laugh then I'd make him cry then I'd make him laugh and every time I would look at him he would I would look at him angrily he would start crying and every time I would laugh at him he would start laughing and this continued on until the lady that was babysitting us figured out what I was doing and heard him crying and she got very upset with me um, but the point is, just by a look, he was persuaded that I was mad, that something was wrong, and he was scared. But then just by a look, a change in my features, a laugh, he knew everything was okay, and he was happy. He was easily persuaded. We need to become like that little child when it comes to the things of Christ, we need to be able to, to, even though our parents take us by the hand and maybe we don't want to go, they can still persuade us that this is the right thing to do. Now, you young people, uh, Naomi is still at that age where she will follow. She's starting to get that stubborn streak. I can see it. But the rest of you, you shouldn't be saying anything, Abraham, because you are probably the most stubborn out of all of them. But the rest of you are at a point in your life where you're really starting to question and make your own decisions and decide whether you want to follow your parents or not. It's important for you to understand that you have to be willing to be drawn. If you can't learn to follow your parents, you're never going to learn to follow God. If you can't learn to follow the elders that God has put over you to teach you and help you to grow you're never going to be able to follow what God has for you and you're never going to reach the potential that God has for you God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of you I think it was last it was last week during Sunday school we, we didn't go through uh, the book of Judges because I was very confused about Judges chapter 5 so we looked at Philip and we looked at Stephen Two men that were called of God, that were called and brought in to become apostles, that were sent out and began to preach and teach, and two men that had very different lives. Stephen, remember, went on his first mission and went out and preached and ended up being stoned to death. 
he was willing to go and hazard his life and sacrifice his life. Philip went out on his first mission and preached and saw many saved and was sent to another and saw more saved and was sent to another and saw more saved. Ultimately, he did end up giving his life for the Lord, but he had years and years of service. In both cases, they were exactly where God wanted them to be. Today, my cousin Jameson is a little over 30 years old and is no longer, I no longer have that power over him to make him laugh and cry. Now, he laughs at me a lot, but I don't have that ability to just flip the switch anymore. He's standing on his own two feet, making his own decisions. These people who were following Christ had all the evidence they needed to truly know who Christ was, and yet they still called him the son of Joseph. They are not willing to be drawn by Christ. And because of this, Christ teaches them in a different way. You'll notice as you go throughout the Gospels that when Christ is teaching the multitude, He teaches in parables, He teaches in sayings, and He teaches in ways that sometimes are pretty confusing. He does this because He wants to know and wants to seek those people who will genuinely try and follow Him. Most will just take it upon themselves to try and figure it out or or disagree and let it go and they don't because they don't want to follow it. It's those true disciples that come and seek to find out exactly what he's teaching. And you'll see in those times where the disciples have come and questioned that he breaks it down a lot simpler and he makes it very clear. So let me ask you this. And I I don't know how many of you are going to understand this reference. But I have three words for you. Et tu brute. Does anybody recognize that reference? Okay. It's from the play Julius Caesar. And it's supposedly Julius Caesar's last words as Brutus, his friend and confidant, runs the sword through him and kills him. It means, and you, Brutus. He's questioning that Brutus is now fallen in with the rebels and is, and is the one that is going to ultimately slay him. But I'm questioning you today, where do you stand? Those of you here today who have placed your faith and trust in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection have heard the call, seen the evidence, and chosen to be drawn. You've gotten your fire insurance, and you'll not spend the rest of your eternity in hell, but what about the rest of your life here on earth? Are you, in, are you content with no hell or do you crave a full life and this is where Christ goes on to teach are you going to be full or are you going to be sufficed and he goes on to begin to teach about the bread of life again he talks about the manna that, that was brought down from heaven and how the fathers ate it and are dead Those in those days in Exodus they went and they gathered the manna and they ate till they were sufficed as we looked at Ruth this morning uh, Boaz reached her parched corn and she sat and ate until she was sufficed, but she hungered again. The Jews, d- during the times of the manna in the wilderness, they gathered just enough for each man to be sufficed for the day. They were not to keep anything over except for on the sixth day so they could have the seventh day of rest. And they were hungry again the next day. Christ describes himself as the true bread of life, which will make one never hunger again. So what's the difference? The difference is the flesh and the blood. 
Christ says that he is the bread of life, and any man that eateth of his bread shall live forever. But the Jews, they don't understand the spiritual meaning here. Christ goes on to explain in verse number 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. In 55, My flesh is meat and my blood is drink. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Now this may sound a little barbaric and actually has caused some to go into cannibalism. There are tribes throughout the world that believe that if you eat the flesh of your enemies, you take on their power. There are tribes here, uh, many of the Indian tribes here in our country, the Native American tribes believe that very thing. And there are still others that take this to mean that they must physically eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ's blood in order to be saved. They believe that they can say a prayer over a wafer and a glass of wine and it transforms into the flesh and blood of Christ. This is not the case and this is not what Christ is teaching here. Christ is simply saying that if you're going to take Christ, you must take all of him. The flesh and the blood are all that there is to life. We understand that God gave us a spirit, but that spirit, when we're born, is dead. Us as living beings here on earth are flesh and blood, and we are alive, but our spirit is dead. But for us to be able to have a living spirit, we have to take all of Christ so that he can make us alive. We must devour the whole word of God. In John chapter 1, we learn that Christ himself is the word of God. That he is this very book. That every word that God ever intended for us to have came through Christ and it's recorded here for us. And we must devour it. We must take in all of it. We can't pick and choose bits and pieces that we want, that we like, that we enjoy. We have to take the good with the bad, the hard with the easy. So many today want to just get their fire insurance. They want to have the faith and trust in Christ to save them because they know that once they're saved, they're always saved, but then they never want to work for Him again. And they want to live for the devil for the rest of their life here on earth. They're constantly hungry. They're constantly seeking. They're constantly searching. The food we take into our bodies is supposed to nourish and supply us with energy and life. The Word of God is the same thing. We are to take it in and absorb it so that it can nourish our bodies and supply our needs. If you want a full life without spiritual hunger and full of the peace of God that passeth all understanding, then you must take all of Christ. These Jews just simply wanted His miracles and His freedom from Rome. They didn't want the rest of it. And they go on to describe how hard this is for them to understand. This is a hard saying. Again, they begin to murmur against Christ. Verse 60 is very sad to me. Those that are following him, uh, again, begin to murmur among themselves. I spoke of it just a little bit ago, but they don't go to Christ and seek the answers to their questions. They go to themselves. They go to people who didn't understand in the first place. And they begin to murmur and they begin to doubt. And they're fleshly physical side takes over and they begin to discount everything that Christ has said and discount who he is rather than seeking Christ they continue to murmur and we're back full circle to where we started tonight we're back to oh he's just the son of Joseph he's just the son of Mary he's not God in the flesh 
He is not the Messiah. Again, they're murmuring because they don't want to hear. They're not easily persuaded or willing to be drawn. Rather than draw close to Christ in humility, admitting that they don't understand so He can teach them, they harden their hearts and draw away from Him. And He begs the question, does this offend you? Christ knows their thoughts and He calls them on it. He says, did I offend you? Well, should He have? No, but He did. And again, I ask, et tu brute, are you today looking to Christ for the answers or are you hardening your heart in rebellion? We're going to go on to see uh, in these last couple of verses of chapter 6 some very, very sad things. We're going to see the one that's going to betray him. We're going to see many of his disciples desert him. This is a hard saying. We have to seek Christ and every part of Christ. As we talked this morning, we have to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, completely giving ourselves to God so that He can work through us. So I'll leave you this thought with 2 Peter 3.9. And we've talked about this verse many times already uh, in the last couple of weeks. So many, in fact, I should have it memorized, but the way I butchered everything this morning, I should probably read it. Second Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's willing for all of us to join Him. For all of us to be drawn. God is drawing you today. Are you following? He's not just drawing you for salvation, but He's drawing you for a full, joyful, peaceful life in Him. Now that doesn't mean, joyful and peaceful doesn't mean there's not going to be hard times, there's not going to be sorrow, there's not going to be war. But it means that He's going to be with you in those times. We have to understand that in our lives as we look back and see what God has done, we should understand the lengths that God went to to bring us to salvation. I know for me, Brother Grant gave his testimony this morning and, and he sent, God sent multiple men to witness to him. Multiple times until he finally came to the Lord. For me, God brought Abby into this world four months premature to soften my heart, to make me understand that there truly is a God, that there was a great creator, an all-powerful God that loved us and cared for us. And then he moved my family to southern Iowa and moved a family from Florida all the way to southern Iowa and put us together in front of a YMCA in Creston, Iowa, so that we could meet. And then because I was hard-headed and stupid, he continued to put Brother Adam and myself together day after day after day working at the lawn care business. And he allowed us to become friends. And he 
convicted my heart to make a commitment to be there for the grand opening service of that church. And on the Friday night before that service, as I chored my horses in his pasture, it finally realized that I needed a Savior sitting in his kitchen at his kitchen table. It was a lot of work. And I could go back from the time I was born and show you all the things that God had done, taking people out and bringing people in and, and moving things around so that I would live and know Him today. It's not by coincidence. And He's still working that hard today in each and every one of us. He is still working in us so that we might be that missionary. We might be that evangelist. We might be that person that leads somebody else to the Lord. Each and every interaction we have is not by chance. It's by appointment. It's on purpose. Naomi and Elimelech went to Moab specifically to bring Ruth back. Ruth went to the field to glean at the same time that Boaz was coming back to his field. It's all on purpose. So today, just be willing to be drawn. Be willing to offer your body a living sacrifice, freely given, and be willing to be guided and directed. And start as a young person. Some of us have already wasted a large part of our lives running instead of serving. 